Welcome to Golden Grade, Collaboration SF's podcast empowering Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold open. My name is Elsa. And I'm Long. Long had the great opportunity to interview one of our most famous locals, Kathy Fang. Um, her family owns Nanking House in Chinatown. It's actually on the cuffs between North, North Beach, Beach and, and Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah. And also she runs full-time Fang Restaurant, which is a downtown. And she has been on TV before. She has won Chopped twice and has done other Food Network-related shows. She was in GoDaddy commercials as well, too. Very cool. Yeah. You don't see a lot of Asian faces in um, TV commercials or things like that? No, let alone running a business and being on TV, which is very rare. Yeah, I don't know how she does it. Did you ask her about that? What's her secret? Especially since you've known her for so long. Yeah, I mean, she just um, used GoDaddy so much, and she actually talked to her PR. She's like, can you get me a hold of GoDaddy? And they're like, oh, yeah, we love working with locals. So she actually has a commercial of a GoDaddy promotion and they show fang restaurants on tv yeah oh no i meant how she does it like juggling owning a restaurant and her own family restaurant nanking um house but also doing all the things that she does well that was before she was um pregnant had a baby but before she was running all cylinders going back and forth of like going on tv she was on good morning america and she'll go on radio and then run back to the restaurant and film back and forth. But she has some groundedness of her when she got a baby. It's like, oh, no, it's not about her anymore. So yeah. there's she's now a power woman. So um, having her own company um, beside the restaurant, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So I always say I'm a little biased. That's my favorite restaurant because yeah. I know her. Elsa, <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite restaurant in San Francisco? Um... See, that's hard because when people come and visit San Francisco and they ask me for recommendations, I always, I like to resort to Yelp and help them find the best ones because I know they're here to eat the um, best and brightest versus me, I eat according to what brings comfort to myself, um, what feeds my soul. So the restaurants that I go to aren't necessarily, I would say, things that I recommend to others. Um, not that they're not good places. They're definitely mm-hmm. good places to eat. But um, maybe they're not necessarily unique um, to San Francisco. So one of my favorite restaurants is ABC Restaurant. And a lot of people might not like that. Um, it's Hong Kong food, Chinese food. That's something that I grew up going to with my mother when I was in middle school. That's what we would eat for breakfast because they had like a special. If you get there before 11 a.m., you get a meal and you can get a complimentary soup um bread you know hong kong milk tea or coffee and so we always try to beat the rush and beat the deadline things i like from abc would be like um kind of like the macaroni soup with spam and like peas and carrots and it's very simple but it's Mm -hmm. you know western hong kong comfort food yeah um so that's not something i would necessarily recommend that when someone's visiting san francisco they must go there but that's something that i enjoy um but yeah, and I remember going back to Hong Kong in April. Um, that was just, I haven't been back for nine years, and 
you know, people always rave about Hong Kong milk tea and the things that they do there, and I was very excited to eat the food. And I have to admit, I was a little disappointed, um, just because I thought that the milk tea that I'm getting at San Francisco with ABC, and this is probably controversial, is just <laughs> as good, if not better, than the ones that I got in Hong Kong. Really? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm definitely still going to go to Hong Kong, eat the food, and enjoy it. I would just say that I don't need to go every year just to get my fix, and I could go locally. But that's me, and I'm not a food snob in any way. Um, obviously, bad food is bad food, but I'm fine with good and okay food. <laughs> but I think... In other people's opinion. <laughs> but I think good food is as long as you enjoy it, right? It's yeah, every, it's subjective, right? Subjective, and that's why there's hundreds of restaurants to serve for something like, if it appeals to you, you go there, right? And that's yeah. how they seem business for people with your taste. You know what's funny? I was thinking when I was describing this, um, I was like, oh, I can never be a food critic. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about ratatouille. I remember the last scene where he eats the ratatouille that reminds him of his family and his mother's cooking. Um, you know, it changes his expression from someone who's upset and down to like a smile. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not like that. I don't like walk around with a frown every day. And then when I eat Hong Kong Western food or Chinese food or food that brings me comfort, I turn that frown upside down, (laughs) but I totally relate that having a memory or having some sort of feeling back to the food, a connection, really changes it. And so that's why I'm okay with maybe not eating at the best Chinese restaurant in the city. But yeah, that's just my two cents. And also like if you're having Chinese food at home, yeah, like the comfort of that. And so like the same thing for me, I don't go for the best Vietnamese food. I always go for like southern style contemporary vietnamese food <laughs> yeah contemporary or like you know there's north and south right yeah and so I like i that. like the southern like northern is a little too bland for me but it's, yeah it's just like is there's not enough kuchamots they're gonna come after you i don't care i fight for the <laughs> south dirty south pho. that's that's my new restaurant oh my gosh. <laughs> well is your family from the south yes okay um northern, do you think that's why you have some kind of bias because you yeah. Grew up eating that kind of food. Yeah, I have a bias. I don't say it's bad. You're like, I admit it. Yeah, I admit it. So, and the little thing too, like when speaking Vietnamese, the proper Ooh. accent stuff, they say Z. It's yeah. like very um, European, like British. Well, yeah, because didn't the French colonize them? Mm-hmm. But there's some British, so there's like Z. Interesting. So there's that little dialect and food like difference. Um, you know why I wanted. Kathy to be part of this podcast? No. Besides that, she's your friend? Yes, besides that. Um, it's one of the things about her I like that she actually goes back to China and she travels to other places too. Mm-hmm. And she goes and tries to find recipes and gets inspiration there. And so what we talk about in this interview is not about her career, her choices, and what she's doing now. We actually just go into about the craft of like trying to find new and innovative things. And China is... 1.6 or 2 billion around there and it keeps growing and mm-hmm. so there, there's no way to have one type of food for that huge a country I mean yeah. even in America we don't have one pizza we have Chicago pizza we have LA pizza we have you know San Francisco burritos that conflict yeah. with like San Diego burritos so there's that kind of like dichotomy of like differences so with that we're gonna go straight into the interview Hope you enjoy.
Kathy Feng. Hello, thanks for having me on the show. Um, can you tell me a little about yourself? I uh, was born and raised in San Francisco, and um, I opened a Chinese restaurant called Fang 10 years ago, so I'm chef and co-owner of um, a pretty popular restaurant in San Francisco. I actually opened it with my father, so this is like a family business. Both my parents, Peter and Lily, opened another really, really popular Chinese restaurant back in 1988, and it's still around. It's now uh, been 31 years since they first opened. Uh, their restaurant's called House of Nanking. That's like older than most millennials here now, right? Oh yeah, it is, <laughs> for sure. And then, what other businesses do you guys have? Um, that's it. I mean, like we right now we're running both those restaurants, and you know, for people who may not know that much about the restaurant industry, it is a very grueling um, full-time uh, gig. So we basically spend most of our lives in both restaurants, and that's kept us busy enough these days. But you've always been in. Food's always been around you, right? Yeah, ever since uh, my parents opened House of Nanking, I was about six years old at that time. And I spent most of my time at the restaurant because my parents were always at the restaurant and they couldn't afford daycare or anything. And so um, the restaurant was my daycare. I, you know, colored, read, played with like my ball. I did everything that you would normally do at home or in a playground or at daycare at the restaurant. And naturally, because we didn't have any electronic devices at the time to keep us occupied, you'd get tired of playing the same thing. Yeah. And you would then end up, you know, either trying to help out at the restaurant, even doing like tasks, like mm-hmm. wiping the forks, um, cleaning the tables, doing anything, peeling eggs. It's like I always asked for something to do. And if that ran out, then I would like try to talk to the customers. So I basically um, spent most of my childhood doing a lot of restaurant stuff. Did your parents guilt the customers because you're so cute? It's like, oh no, like, go talk to them. Uh, my parents didn't guilt me. I think my, you know, my parents didn't really push me to do anything at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I wasn't like causing any trouble, yeah. then they're just like, okay, good, because you know, like. Kids don't know what they're doing. Like, no, but did your parents use you as like? No, oh. no, no, no. They didn't really use me as like bait to try to tempt customers. I don't think they were even thinking that um, that far. They're just mm-hmm. like trying to run the restaurant, just the two of them. However, my dad did actually use me as an advertisement once. Um, I had, you know, like when you're in first grade, kindergarten, elementary school, you take like your school picture, mm-hmm. um, and he took one of those photos of like the portraits that I had, blew it up and had me write, um, I like my burgers with Nanking sauce, because the <laughs> restaurant's called House of Nanking. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, that's great, because it's like, you know, American people love burgers. And then, you know, that way they'll think that like our sauces are so good, that you could have it even on like American things. Mm-hmm. And it's like coming from this kid. So he did use that as like advertisement. but. Aside from that, me being physically there, um, I don't think he was like pushing me to go talk to people to try to <laughs> get people to come in. Um, I actually just did it naturally myself because I was bored. Got it. What was the first thing you cooked 
when you were a kid? Do you remember? Um, I mean, I at the restaurant I helped out a lot. Like I would help make sauces. Mm-hmm. Um, I would help like squeeze fresh like soybeans and make soy milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of tasks, but. As far as like completing one dish from start to finish mm-hmm. and allowing me to do everything on my own, I actually clearly remember this. It was not at the restaurant. It was at my grandma's place. And it was the first time she let me do everything from like cutting the ginger to washing the vegetables to cooking it in the like turning on the fire, cooking it in the wok and then finishing. I was very small, like short at the time. I had to step on a mm-hmm. chair. But it was a very proud moment for me because I just made ginger and garlic bok choy for my parents Mm -hmm. sauteed but you know like before then it would be like assisted cooking Mm -hmm. right they'll be like oh here you pour this in but let me stir it Mm -hmm. um and here you can like take the vegetables and wash it but like let me cut this Mm -hmm. that was the first time I um actually did everything from start to finish I think I was only like I was definitely under 10 at the time how'd you feel after that do you remember very proud I was like so proud and I cooked it for my parents, mm-hmm. and I remember just sitting down and watching them eat it, and I kept asking them, is it good, is it good? And they said, oh yes, it's very good, and I was like so happy. I was like, oh gosh, I'm so good at this. <laughs> awesome. Um, you mentioned that the food industry is grueling, right? So what's one thing you do to prevent burnout? Because you know, San Francisco, everyone working here, like they have to work so many hours, and you know, you using food is also like your creative outlet too, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I love doing what I do, obviously. And so I feel like burning out doesn't happen as much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it may happen more if, let's say, I was cooking at a restaurant as a chef, but I didn't own it. I think when you own the business, it adds another level of you know, excitement, sense of responsibility, um, it feeds into the passion even more. So when you have a grueling or a really tough day, you still feel like good about it at the end of the day because, you know, you pulled through and you had a successful day of business. Mm-hmm. And so I, for days where I really do feel burnt out, um, which is rare, and it's usually like, let's say we had a really busy month, like we mm-hmm. do a lot of conferences here and it's basically 12, 15 hours a day, nonstop for five days. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I try to go somewhere afterwards, meaning like maybe take a weekend off, um, take a week off vacation somewhere. Or if I don't have the time for that, it can even be something as simple as I want to make sure we like go on a nice date to have dinner or for the weekend, I don't want to do anything but like watch a movie and order takeout. Yeah. Um, now that we have a daughter, that might be let's take her to the park and let's take her out and do something. It's just doing something that's outside of work, that's relaxing, a little bit mindless. Mm-hmm. Um, that that really like helps for me to just kind of recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, working out also is like a big part of my daily routine, and I think that also helps me feel well adjusted before I start my day at, at um, the restaurant. So before I go in, I usually always work out at least for an hour. Um, Boxing is one of my favorite workouts to do. And so that's a really great outlet. You just, you feel when you walk into the restaurant in the morning, you feel recharged and ready to go. How about um, 
creatively. So like, like, you know, how do you keep yourself fresh as a chef? Uh, so to stay creative as a chef or to, you know, constantly feel inspired as a chef, I believe for me, all of it comes from, you know, traveling and exposure. So aside, you know, like aside from traveling to different countries and trying different foods and experiencing other people's cultures, mm -hmm. um, I also love you know, just exploring within our own city mm -hmm. in San Francisco. There's so many restaurants and neighborhoods that you can go and explore. Mm -hmm. um, and so anywhere that I eat, end up eating at, whether it's a place that I've been eating at for the last few years or a new place, there's always something that like I'm going to eat and be like impressed by, or there could be something that I ate that I was like, oh, this was like a good idea or like how they did this. Um, and then it makes me think about, oh, how can I make this or how can I change this or can I make a version of this? So you're like always thinking whenever you're out eating or drinking or yeah. just um, whether it's traveling or in the city, you're always looking for new ideas, um, things that inspire you. What was the most recent thing that like gave you that inspiration or you just like dissected it and just wanted to try to replicate? Um, so I actually took a big trip in May. I put together a gastronomy tour with Abercrombie and Kent. And I really wanted to do this because I love traveling to China and eating there. The food is always evolving there. And I think a lot of people here don't realize that. Um, they think that Chinese food is like only a certain amount of dishes, mm -hmm. whatever they're exposed to here, and that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, so every time I go back to China, I like always come back with like, oh my gosh, I tried all these new things. Um, and so I put together this trip for a few of our friends who've never been there, who love food, and um, I picked like two major cities, like Shanghai and Hong Kong, mm -hmm. which are like major food meccas, and then I picked like two more like provincial areas that have more regional cuisines mm -hmm. like Xi'an, we went to Xi'an and we also went to Guilin, mm -hmm. um, so that people can see like how different the food is from mm -hmm. like one region to another or from one city to another. Can we talk about the people, your friends you've brought and like the diverse, like did they know a lot? Did they know a little bit? Didn't... Um, so we put together like a really diverse group actually. Mm -hmm. We brought like um, a couple that you know loves Chinese food and they're like Asian, Korean, mm -hmm. and Chinese, and so they're more exposed to it. But even then, they've never like um, visited Hong Kong or mm -hmm. the, the other regions. So that was an interesting element to bring in for people who are like Asian or mm -hmm. Chinese, and still you see that they have limited knowledge on the depth of Chinese cuisine. Mm -hmm. And then we brought um, an Indian couple. And we also brought like um, a Caucasian couple. Mm -hmm. So it's like we had a really nice mix of people from different places, mm -hmm. different backgrounds. And um, we all shared one common thing, which is love for food. Yeah. And it's interesting for the, all of them to kind of see and learn and be like, wow, I didn't know there's like Shanghainese cuisine. I didn't know that, you know, they ate breakfast that was like um, totally different from like what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. So that was very um, rewarding for me to be able to share. What was one thing you saw different and new for you? 
Um, so because I've never been to Guilin and Xi'an, mm-hmm. um, I felt like everything I experienced there felt pretty new to me. You know, I've had cuisines that have been made um, in places like Shanghai after like their regional dishes, mm-hmm. but it's never the same. You know, you have to actually go to the source, go mm-hmm. to where the cuisine originates from because all the resources, the ingredients that are local from there, that makes a huge difference than mm-hmm. if you were to try to do it and replicate it in a, a region that doesn't have those resources available. How do you feel about like, you know, recipes as a, a storytelling piece? Oh my gosh, I think recipes are absolutely storytelling pieces. Um, in fact, I feel like a lot of recipes or dishes um, that people love, especially like childhood dishes or things that people like think of as like comfort food, is always associated to like a memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for me, it's you know my grandma's like chicken congee mm-hmm. or my mom's like. Um, Hong Sao Ro, which is like a Shanghainese braised pork belly, right? So when I eat things like that, it automatically, like if I went somewhere and they made it, and they made it like how my mom made it or my mm-hmm. grandma made it, it would instantly take me back to that time. And obviously I'd be like, this is amazing. So I think that's true for everybody. Um, everybody grows up and has like food, right? Mm-hmm. They have to eat. And I'm sure at some point in their lives, they had someone cook for them. Um, and there's got to be, you know, within that repertoire, a couple dishes that, like, they loved mm-hmm. and have really fond memories of and associations with. And so I think food is a great avenue for being able to connect with people on that. If you can create dishes that allow people or take people back to that memory, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Um, and or you can make something that impacts someone's life in the sense that, wow, this is so good, I've never had it before, mm. and that becomes a memory. Um, but it's interesting that you actually brought up the whole idea of, like, you don't want to lose these recipes that are, like, passed down through generations, and recipes are like stories. Um, I actually am working on now um, a cookbook. I've wanted to work on this cookbook for a while, and I started a while ago, but I kind of it kind of fell on the back burner but um, now that I have my daughter, uh, you know, it's become a lot more pertinent to me mm-hmm. to actually do this and complete it. Um, it's actually a cookbook with recipes that I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all dishes that everyone who's ever like taken care of me or you know been involved in my life has prepared for me mm-hmm. and th- it all has meaning right so yeah. like you know everybody in my family like contributed to taking care of me because my parents are always working mm-hmm. so I have recipes from my grandmother from my aunt from my uncle mm-hmm. and obviously my parents and my dad so all these recipes will have a story actually mm-hmm. connected to it um, a memory that's associated with it and I think that if I can complete this book, it would, one, allow me to be able to pass down a lot of these recipes that would be lost if I didn't mm-hmm. put it down and record it because n- nobody makes a lot of these dishes anymore. Everyone's either too old, my grandparents passed away, everyone's busy. Yeah. And so I haven't eaten a lot of these dishes ever since I was like young. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Ava, 
Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to, like, make all these dishes for her mm. either, right? And, like, also trying to create new dishes for her and things that I want to, like, um, you know, mm. share with her. So among, between, like, sharing stuff that I've created and, like, stuff that I want to pass down from above generations, it'll be hard. Mm. So if I had a book for her to be able to, like, actually read and know and also at some point be able to cook, then I feel like I'm passing all of that down to mm. her. Um, and hopefully in doing so, it also inspires, you know, junk, uh, the younger generation who are Asian American or not Asian American to, to cook more for themselves and their family, because mm -hmm. it's, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give to people is to, you know, feed them, feed their soul. Is there one recipe like you look back and because What's cool about recipes, they could be a timestamp where you were at that time, right? And, but yeah. also what's available at that time. Mm -hmm. I know like a lot of Vietnamese people, like when they're cooking, when they have to use coconut um, water, they use that, um, I think it's Coco Rico. Have you heard of Coco Rico? Yeah. They always use that, and it was just what is available, but then that's now become a signature of like cooking for Vietnamese Americans. But, but now we have... Um, coconut water where you can replace but some people just like using that are there some recipes that you look back it's like it is nostalgic but you just kind of want to fix or modernize mm -hmm. like that because I feel like everything that we you know everything that I like kind of grew up eating a lot of the dishes that they made it wasn't so much it was like what was available as far as like seasoning goes they did like my family cooked a lot of very like traditional um like simple dishes mm -hmm. right so like um it would be things like yuba skin with tomato and edamame and pork mm -hmm. so it, you know it wasn't reliant on certain seasonings that you couldn't find mm -hmm. it was more just reliant on the actual like produce yeah and they always cooked with whatever produce that they knew mm -hmm. they could have access to um, so in that sense, no, but like, that's not to say, you know, there aren't certain dishes that like they made where I'm like, oh, it would be really bomb if like I made like a version of that and turned it into like this fancy dish. So mm -hmm. for example, um, the, this is like a very common dish. It's a lo mei which is a lotus mm -hmm. that's wrapped with sticky rice. Um, there's sticky rice inside and there's chicken. Mm -hmm. um, there's mushrooms and there's usually like Chinese sausage. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we make and it's always been sort of made that way. And, you know, recently I was like, gosh, like it'd be really awesome if I could make that. But then, you know, maybe add some like black truffle in there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe like swap out like the typical Chinese sausage for like chorizo. You know, you're mm -hmm. thinking of like, how can I like make a fancified version with the ingredients that like I'm familiar with mm -hmm. cooking now? You know, like maybe fancier ingredients. Um, so in that sense, I would say there are changes. Like wonton is another thing that we constantly make changes to. Mm -hmm. Like traditionally, Shanghainese wonton is like a vegetable and a pork, right? Mm -hmm. And so vegetable, it's always like bok choy, cabbage, um, you know, celery. But now, you know, I'll make a version that has like pickled ginger in it. Mm -hmm. I made a version that had pork and like Italian sausage. Mm. Um, I also made a version that had like sauteed mushrooms and black truffle. So like in that sense, I do make changes mm -hmm. 
it's not necessary because um, my relatives only had access to those things. Mm-hmm. I think it's more because I have a wider um, knowledge of using various ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier for me to be like, oh, why don't we swap out the bok choy and use kale? Where do you fall down the spectrum of like innovation versus like keeping authentic? But then also like we just talked about before, like there's so many different types of like kinds of Chinese food. Um, Where do you find yourself in that big spectrum of authenticity versus innovation? When I first started Fang, like the first five years, I was definitely like, okay, I want to like innovate and push a lot farther from um, like kind of the traditional China. Not that like our food is super, super traditional because even when my dad makes dishes, Mm -hmm. it's like a small riff off of a traditional dish, Mm -hmm. but he's still tied down to like the roots. He can't go too far from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when I was younger, I and eager, I wanted to push a lot farther, like push the envelope a lot mm-hmm. farther. And I think in the last couple of years, now that we've been open for 10 years, mm-hmm. um, I've actually, you know, and, and, and through that process, my dad's like pulled me back before and been mm-hmm. like, okay, let's, that's a little too like, you know, it feels more Western now mm-hmm. than it does like Chinese and we don't want to be like too far off of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I respect my dad a lot, and so like a lot of times he's right, right? Like mm. sometimes if you push too much, then you lose like the soul of what that original dish was. Mm. And if you keep moving in that direction, then you're going to be less and less in touch with like the, the original um, concept or the original idea. Mm. And we're still a Chinese restaurant, mm. um, and so the last couple of years in discovering that there's actually a lot more different types of Chinese cuisines and also Chinese food is always evolving, um, where we've begun to innovate more off of just the fact that there are so many more other new Chinese dishes that we could share. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually become a little bit more traditional in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like when in May, when I went back to China, I had this incredible like noodle dish, like braised beef noodle dish from Xi'an. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't find that in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So like I made an off menu dish that was like that um, at Fang. Mm-hmm. Like I instantly like broke it down and like made it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like why, why go and be like, okay, let me like make a standard like beef noodle dish and like change it all up until mm. it feels not really Asian anymore. Yeah. When there's like a perfectly amazing traditional um, Chinese noodle dish that mm. just we're not exposed to that we don't know about from a different region. So that excites me like a lot more. And to me, that's also innovating, right? Mm. Like to me, that's saying, okay, like we've been making this type of stuff, but now we want to like branch out and do other things. Mm-hmm. Other things could mean um, completely breaking something down and changing it. It could also mean learning other mm-hmm. new cuisines and finding ways to bring it um, to people here. Yeah. Now there's a new wave like Asian representation in media, like in movies and stuff. And we had crazy Asians, we had the dumpy scene. Um, we had always been my maybe. They had like the the story of the mom passing down the um, the recipe to the neighbor, and then even the scene of like um, everyone eating with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what's it like to see like Asian cuisine on TV now, but not bastardized, but actually kind of realistic of what we're eating? It's very exciting. I mean, you know, watching Crazy Rich Asians, like that whole dumpling scene, um, like what Asian kid didn't do that? You mm-hmm. know, like that's so common. It's something that we did all the time where you just sit around with your family and make a whole bunch of dumplings yeah. and then you freeze them and it's something you can enjoy over a span of like a month. Mm-hmm. And so that, I love like seeing that and sharing, you know, it allows us to like, share our food and our culture to people mm-hmm. um so yeah in that sense i think that that's great and any more like any exposure to like our food and insight to our culture in media that, that sort of representation is always like welcome because i feel like there there wasn't that much of it mm-hmm. um you know several years back you know when i first opened fang restaurant um I was approached to like do media stuff Mm -hmm. and when it really ultimately came down to like trying to get a show where I could actually like share more about Chinese cuisine and like cook, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was like turned down a lot. Like, okay, they'll they'll want you to go and like do a competition. Mm -hmm. They'll want you to come and like be on this show to like talk about something. But when it came down to like, hey, can I get like an actual like show that talks about like Chinese food where I could be like cooking Mm -hmm. um then all of a sudden at that time it was like oh no this it's still too exotic Mm -hmm. um for like middle America or demographic how did you feel at that time like um I thought I was pretty shocked and surprised Mm -hmm. that they felt that way because I mean you know I'm sure a lot of people know this or maybe they don't but Chinese food is like one of the most popular foods in America. In fact, there are more Chinese restaurants than McDonald's, Pizza Hut, and KFC combined. So that shows you like Chinese food is very prevalent. Um, There's not a single person I think in the US that doesn't know what it is or have never had it before. Um, So just based off of that, I feel like, okay, if people have eaten it and they know what it is, Mm -hmm. they may not know like what the full range of what Chinese food is, but they know they know what they know what fried rice is. They yeah. know what egg rolls are. I, that to me is like enough, right? Mm. It's not like they're like I've never even heard what a Chinese person is. Like everybody <laughs> knows. Yeah. So then that's like that's perfect as long as they know. Then all I'm asking for is like a platform for me to be able to share even more to to people or to middle America for those who don't know that there's more to like fried rice or mm-hmm. that there's more to like egg rolls and to learn more about like what our culture Mm -hmm. is about or you know how we are and at the end of the day even though we come from different originally come from different countries and our food may taste different and look different um like everybody's still human and so once you start sharing your stories and your culture and how you do things people will see a lot of similarities Mm -hmm. between um like american culture or families, um, as well as any other international ethnic backgrounds. So with that, can we talk about the fun stuff? What was the best experience you had when you were working in like media and TV and stuff? Um, my best experience would have to be going on Chopped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done quite a few things on television and to me, Chopped was probably the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it was also the most like nerve-wracking and most stressful. So you know, when it's something that presents you a great challenge and you're able to accomplish and come out winning, mm -hmm. then it makes it that much more special. And I also because I feel like a lot of people watched um, Chopped and Food Network, it it elevated um, that platform for me to be able to share my story, yeah. right? Which is that I got into the family food business. I, I was able to highlight Fang Restaurant and House of Nanking and share like my parents' story through that. And I felt like that was super rewarding and enjoyable because, you know, even until now, that show aired like several years back. I mean, they still do reruns and we still get people who come in from like all over who say, oh my God, I saw the show and I'm so proud of you. And like, where's your dad? I want to meet your dad. Like people feel like they know you, yeah. right? They feel like, oh, I know your story and like people connect to it or mm -hmm. they they feel something with it they have yeah like if you can connect with people in that sense people that you have never even met um just by being on something for like 30 minutes yeah. you realize how big of an impact it can make so if i can get more than just 30 minutes you know, imagine what other influence and um connections you can make through that yeah, so now talking about the future, what latest projects you're working on now? And you already mentioned the cookbook, and there's anything else that's going on? Yeah, so um, I'm a new mom. I had a baby girl named Ava. Uh, She's adorable, by the way. <laughs> in 2017. And um, it, this is involved in food. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, so being a new mom, I was pretty frustrated with just the, the type of um, food that was available for babies who are starting solids. Um, you know, being a mom is like extremely overwhelming, whether you're a first time mom or juggling more than one kid. And cooking becomes something that is tedious and takes a lot of time. And I'm a chef, and <laughs> even I feel that way. So I can't imagine what like moms who are not chefs feel like. Um, so while I was pregnant and thinking about all of that and wondering like what what would I do um, you know when I need to feed my baby solids but I want to make sure I give her the best stuff but I don't have the time to go do all of that and cook um, I decided to make my own and mm -hmm. I started making um, freeze-dried baby food so um, unlike the stuff that you see in jars and pouches um, I'm not, not the cold press but like any pouch that you see that's on the shelf mm -hmm. at room temp or any jars those go through um, like a high pasteurization heat treatment mm -hmm. and so if you cook food and you put it through high temp treatment then you lose even more nutrients mm -hmm. so what's sitting on there really doesn't have that much nutritional value anymore it's been denatured mm -hmm. it doesn't taste the same anymore it doesn't even look appetizing yeah and if you smell it, it smells horrible. <laughs> Freeze-dry actually maintains its freshness, taste, quality, everything, mm -hmm. and nutrients. So um, I basically would make all my own baby food, freeze-dry it, mm -hmm. like basically freeze it at its state, and then you would just rehydrate it, and it would rehydrate and taste, look, and smell exactly like you made it off the stove. Mm -hmm. It's basically the closest thing to making it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that um, for Ava, and it's a time saver. You, it's super lightweight. It keeps forever because it's freeze-dried. And I could take it traveling, bring 50 meals with me, and it wouldn't like take up very much space. Mm -hmm. 
And so now that's something that I'm working on. Um, we launched it uh, not that long ago and are now selling it online. And then... Um, and it's called Bon Petit. Bon Petit. And then this is probably the first time we, like a project had to include a little bit of science too, right? Yeah, I mean, this is not my area of expertise, but I had to work with a food scientist in, you know, figuring out the nutritional value of um, all the ingredients after you've cooked it, mm -hmm. and how should you cook it to help maintain more nutrients. Um, yeah, I got very um, technical, and not so much about cooking anymore, but mm -hmm. more about, like, um, science. Yeah. And how do it feel just now having science? Do you have more appreciation of science? And then, like, does it give you a better love of food now? Of, like, knowing what not to do, what to do for nutrients or taste or integrity of the food? Um, it does. Well, actually, I don't know if it's, like, greater appreciation. It's more like I was kind of shocked when <laughs> I realized, oh, wow, like, cooking really does deplete like a lot of nutrients something mm -hmm. that you know we kind of know but we don't know to what level mm -hmm. and so it really makes you rethink like how to cook things mm -hmm. thank you so much kathy where can we find you online um so i have my own blog called kathyfang.com um you can also uh, find me at fangrestaurant.com which is like the restaurant website um and what else bonpetitebaby.com is another one you can go on to and, and reach me. Any of those, you can like send a note. Um, on Instagram, it's Chef Kathy Fang. And then if people are still using Facebook, um, then it's just Chef Kathy Fang on Facebook. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for the sixth episode of Golden Great. Send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldengreat at collaboration.org with the K. Golden Great producers are Ray Wong and Michelle Abiera, and our executive producer is Josh Coe. Sound mixing was by Michelle Abiera and editing by Ray Wong. Our fabulous theme song was composed by Robert Gubb. Please like, favorite, and rate us. We'll catch you next time. Stay, Stay golden! golden.